Sarah. Hi, Susie. Oh, sick Sarah. I know. What the heck? This has not been a good season for you. No. What the heck? You know why? I need more sleep. Oh, okay. It's catching up to you. Yeah, but I'm going to sit far, far away. Yeah. And I'm going to breathe in this direction. Keep your germs away from you. There. (laughs) Episode 301. We are in the 300s. It's a whole scene. That's so fun. Look at us. We're nothing if not persistent. We didn't even bake a cake in the shape of a 300. I I was thinking we should do, like, we should ask people what their favorite moments over the years have been. Yeah. And then we could put together, like, a clip show. Oh, I would love that. That that would be be fun fun for me. Do you have moments that stand out? I think ours are usually the same. Yeah, they're definitely. But I think recently that... uh, the doorbell liquor, I, I got a lot of laughs out of that. <laughs> yeah. That one made me right. giggle. Okay, we'll put that in the mix. Doorbell <laughs> liquor, mine is always going to be Al Bundy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the, the, the number one will always be the bag of dicks for me. <laughs> right. Did we peek out on, like, episode 10? <laughs> or maybe that just shows that we should only be talking about fart jokes and dicks. I think we need to revisit this. Like, so the question initially had been, when you picture a bag of dicks, what does it look oh, like? Yeah. And yours oh, yeah. was like, was yours a burlap sack? No, I think when I said mine was like a grocery bag. Yeah, and it had like a baguette of dick. Yes. And yours was like a Ziploc baggie where they were like organized. Like probably right. like labeled, labeled in different sizes with your P-Touch label maker. <laughs> Small dicks, medium dicks, large dicks. Just because they're dicks doesn't mean they can't be organized. Right. <laughs> this is actually. Then you can hold it in your hand and say, "Does this spark any joy?" Right. <laughs> well, so I, I'm wondering, does your bag of dicks change at all over time? Like, depending on where you are in your life, sort of like what's in the trunk of your car. Yeah, I think so. Let me. Th- well, let me think. Let me think. What does mine look like? No, mine's still the bag- baguettes in the in the thing. <laughs> All right, well, I want to know what other people's bag Mm -hmm. of dicks look like. And those pictures never disappoint. So please tag us in those dick pics. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not actual dick pics, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no actual dicks ever. I don't want to see your dick. But this is actually an appropriate uh, sort of introduction to a guest that we're going to have on later, (gasps) who is the COO. At Doc Johnson, his name is Chad Braverman. And Doc Johnson, if you're not familiar, is the largest sex toy manufacturer in the world. Dang! Oh, (laughs) this is going to be interesting. It was one of my favorite interviews because... Oh my gosh. I, if I can class up sex toys, I feel like I've arrived as an interviewer and I think I did it. I, I believe this. I can't wait to hear. I was just curious about like trends in sex yes. toys, you know, how things shift over time and like what people are into. Cause we think of sexuality as like this fixed idea that whatever you're into just sort of stays the same, but that's mm-hmm. absurd. And right. your taste in sex is also influenced by culture. And Absolutely. as he will, will share movies and TV shows, you know, whether it's sex in the city or yes. 50 shades of gray or whatever. Things oh, go- I bet 50 shades of gray was a big influencer. Yeah. 
Yeah, so these things have an impact on the way people's intimate lives play out, which is so interesting to me. And the other thing I love about this interview that you can listen to later is that this is a family company. He grew up in the sex toy industry, which is so awesome. Oh, my goodness. Well, I wonder, that's so interesting, because I wonder how sex was discussed in their house. There must have been a real casual attitude around it, or it was like (laughs) super hush-hush, and they don't ever talk. Like, it had to go one way or the other, right? And I'm sure it was a more casual attitude about it. And I wanted to know, I asked him, like, does anything shock you at this point? Ooh. Because you would think you'd be completely desensitized, so that was fun to hear his... What what he thinks about people's various kinks and tastes. Yeah, stick around for that. Yeah, so anyway, prepare to get angry, though, because I have uh, an article that I read that I am outraged about. Please tell me right now. So that'll be fun. Okay, so the article was in The Guardian, and -hmm. it was the deadly truth about a world built for men. And it was describing the various ways that design of products and life in the world is more dangerous for women because men are the prototype. And so everything is designed around their size, their weight, their height, their bodies. And you don't really think about the ways that this can actually harm us. And Mm. the great example is crash test dummies. Oh my God. That... They didn't they don't even have make a, those at different sizes. Well, so they recently started making a quote unquote female version, but really it's just a scaled what? down male version. It's Which is not, totally different because we have different parts in different places and and different muscle uh, in different areas, uh, density of muscle, yeah, that affect injuries in car crashes, etc. And this is the craziest thing about it in Europe. When they use the female, quote-unquote, crash test dummies, they yeah. don't even put them in the driver's seat. No! They only Stop. test oh my God. passengers. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to die. That, wow. That is a subtle, like... It isn't oh. even subtle. And it's not, but it's like, I feel like nobody would know. Unless, it would, it would be hard to notice that. You know, it's like one of those things where we could talk about it afterwards and say, oh, my God, they didn't even put him in the driver's seat. But I bet nobody in those, in those, you know, groups or, or planning meetings or whoever comes up with the idea to use the crash test dummies even thought about that. Well, so the men make up the largest number of yeah. accidents. Like men get in more accidents, but women well, are like harmed and die more because... <sighs> All of the safety regulations are meant to protect men and not women. That's totally crazy to me. It's sick. It's sick. But this is also my question. Is it... So you have a guy who's like, you know, land in size or larger, like 200 pounds plus. Or you have a guy who's like 120 pounds because men come in all size ranges as well. Yeah. So were these... Is it okay if you have they a man? They call it a who, standard, a reference man. Okay, so. so it's mostly like, so if you were a, a male who was on the smaller size, yeah, then like, you're you affected male, by it too. Okay, that yeah. was my question. Yeah, okay. So really, this is like sizest and gendered. Yeah, 
The standard reference man is a Caucasian man between 25 and 30 who weighs 70 kilograms. Oh, for Pete's sake. Right. So they're safe as heck. But... (laughs) But... um, Oh, my God. I just can't with this. So... um, because women are generally shorter than men, um, they sit differently in a vehicle. And instead of acknowledging that and sort of working around the various heights that humans come in, they just say that women sit in a, um, there's a phrase for it. It just means it's like something like, uh, out of basically out of the ordinary posture. Because I'm, I don't fit your very small, yeah. like narrow definition of what a human should be. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. I love that they just put a title to it, like know, a, like a name the to it. They're like, oh no, no, that's not just what they just sit weird. Yeah, you're wrong. Basically, we're wrong for just being how we are in cars. Okay. And so that's just Dude. one example. And I'm going to put this article in the newsletter because there were so many examples that I ran out of room on my piece of paper. Oh but God. here are some other ones. It was talking about um, the female, quote unquote, skewed professions are understudied. So we know pretty much everything there is to know about the dangers in work, of working in, for example, a mine including uh-huh. the dust that they breathe in and the various hazards of working in the mine. But we don't know very much about the dangers of working in a nail salon. Oh, my God. And I know that there are. Right. Because it's I also mean, a lot of dust from the shellac yes. and the chemicals and the oh odors from the various chemicals. I know. Of course. that. I mean, when I was pregnant, I had to wear a, a mask in there because the smells were so strong. Yeah. And I know anything that makes you feel like you're going to die when you're pregnant is probably your body going, rant, 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 toxic, toxic, get out of here. One thing that you should do when you're pregnant, but also when you're not, is take vitamins to yes. keep you uh, healthy and safe, unlike these... Uh, examples we're looking at now. And the best way to do that is ritual vitamins. I can't emphasize this enough. I was one of those people who was like, I basically can't take vitamins because they make me sick. They stink. They make my stomach upset. But ritual solved the problem for me because they smell like mint. They taste like mint and they're time released. So you don't get that sick feeling if you haven't eaten enough or whatever. And you don't get that gross fishy aftertaste. And so for me, this is like a game changer because I can actually take vitamins. Um, But they're also vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, all that good stuff. And you subscribe and they come right to your house. But it's easy if you want to start it, stop it, like snooze it if you forgot a few days and you don't want your new ones to come yet. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached, and better health doesn't happen overnight. So help fill the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash brain candy to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash brain candy. Um, Okay. Another example, and I mean, obviously the nail salon thing is such a good point because we know that that's a dangerous job, but we don't think of it in the same way that you think about going into a mine. Um, The construction equipment is designed for men. Of course, that's a stereotypically male field, but there's a lot of women in that industry and they tend to get things with injuries to their forearm and their wrist because all the equipment is designed for a big hand. 
And you, you know think, what? Okay. I, the thing that pops into my mind are chainsaws. I don't know why, but I'm like, oh my God, those things seem like they're, they're like, you have to be a certain, you know, the body weight to machine like ratio and how it sits on your body or where it sits on your hip or however, I don't know how you use a chainsaw, but I feel like things like that, where it's like, it's not even designed at like a smaller scale where well, somebody is Well, that's such a good smaller. point because it was saying, for example, a bag of cement, you could easily make them in smaller bags and yes. that way women would be able to carry them more easily <gasps> and men could still carry them. It wouldn't negatively affect men. You but, know, yeah. that's actually real smart just to prevent workspace, right. workplace injuries to begin Across with. Across the board. Why wouldn't you lighten, lighten everybody's load instead of saying, oh, you and like, because I've even seen applications for jobs that say you have to be able to lift yeah. he- over 50 pounds like easily. Well, why don't you just make it 30 pounds and then you can hire more people? <laughs> they don't want to do that. That's inconvenient. God, that would be dumb. so inconvenient. Ugh. And even like they were saying the size of bricks, men can do it with one hand, women generally can't. Um, But you think, okay, well, that's a male-dominated field. Probably part of the reason is because of these things. But a a thing that's also like this that isn't related to being masculine is the smartphone. That men can easily use it one-handed and women cannot. I agree with this. And they're like... They said to the writer, well, don't worry. They won't get any bigger because if they were, then men couldn't do it with one hand. <laughs> but then you think, so well, okay, stupid. well, women could use the voice-activated feature if they can't use both hands. Well, voice-activated technology is also scaled to lower decibels. Oh, so, my God. Right? The Where whole world win? is out to get us. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but, like... The even, um, you know, health trackers, like they have one in your Apple watch, right? Yeah. But they didn't, they called it a comprehensive health track tracker, but they forgot one thing. Oh, what? A, a period tracker. Oh, yeah. Like, if, now, if men got that. periods, that thing would oh, be my God. equipped with a period tracker. Absolutely. So it, these are things There's we can There's a bunch of stuff. Them. Right. I mean, like, this just brings back the bath. I have not stopped thinking about the bathroom thing. What about the bathroom? You know, we were talking a, a couple weeks ago about the bathroom designs and how, like, oh, men right. and male and female bath. And now I can't go to the bathroom without thinking about this. So yeah. now it's like I'm going to pick up every single object and be like, is this designed for a man? <laughs> Patriarchy. God. Well, and that, I felt like I didn't do that story justice because I I was kind of fumbling, but... No. The parody was supposed to be the square footage of the bathrooms, but what I was trying to get across was that the amount of space that it takes for women's stalls is so much more than the amount it takes yeah. for a urinal. Yeah. So that's why they, whatever, you get it. Yep. 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 Yeah. It seems like when product design, when anything, you know, also this makes me think about left handed and right handed product yeah. stuff. Because have it I, does. did I tell you about. My experience calling the talk on here about my experience calling a, a guitar center for a, a ukulele. No, what happened? Oh, for Pete's sake. So <laughs> I call, I've been like trying to find this like left-handed ukulele. And uh, so I call and I order one online and it like is not 
actually left-handed. It's like, well, you have to flip all this stuff and you have to do all this stuff. So I'm like, well, fuck that. I'll send it back. So I call Guitar Center and I'm like, hey, I'm just looking for somebody who can answer some questions about ukuleles being like as nice as I could possibly be. (laughs) And this guy goes... I'm like, hey, sir, do you know anything about left-handed ukuleles or do you sell any? And he's like, no, we don't sell any of those. I'm like, well, do you have any of the ones that, like, so rude. Like, clearly this guy was having a bad day. And then I was like, so do you have any ones, like, what do you suggest? He's like, well, you know, I mean, you could get a regular one and you could flip it, but that's going to cost you, like, $50 worth of accessories. It's probably not going to, you know, even work. And, like, so rude. And I was like, man, what the heck is a left-handed person supposed to do? And then this guy in a snarkiest tone was like, well, the majority of the population is not left-handed. Right. So the majority of our customer base is also not left-handed. So we don't carry those products. And I was like, Jesus Christ almighty. Okay, dude. And uh, so it just made me start thinking about all the other things. And then this guy was like, the majority of the population. So I was talking to Landed, and he's like, what do you, what do you think the percentage of the population that is left-handed is? And I guess, what do you think it is, Suze? I would have guessed like 10, 15%. That was my guess, 15%. It's actually 7 to 10%. Mm. And I don't know if that was like global where people are forced to be left-handed, but I feel like I see uh, more left-handed people than that. I know. forget the word for that bias that you're describing, but they talk about it with minority, racial minorities too, that people yeah. over-guess the number there are because when you see them, it's more memorable. So your brain oh. thinks there's more of them than there are. And I'm left-handed, so I always spot the lefty. But I feel like in every classroom I go work in, that there's always a left-handed, at least one or two. So it shows me that, like, I I thought it would be like 20% or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it made me think about all that stuff. So then I was looking up left-handed stuff online, and there were all these articles about surgeons and left-handed doctors And the same way when I was looking up articles on how to play the guitar uh, or the ukulele left-handed, a lot of articles said, suck it up and learn how to play it with your right hand. Like, Really? Yes. Most of them. There were only a few articles I found that said, you know, it was like, no, we can't just do that. And they were usually left-handed people who said that. But right-handed people were like, well, why don't you just play it right-handed and figure it out? You can do that and your body will just catch up or your, your mind will train itself or whatever. And so they were saying that surgeons are, it's the same, where there aren't left-handed surgeons really to teach the new, uh, like if you're a student and you're in med school and you want to be, say, I don't know, a orthopedic surgeon or whatever, you're usually mentoring under a doctor who's right-handed and they're not going to take the time to teach you with another hand because that's not the dominant hand they use. And also the entire operating room are always set up for right-handed people. Like the way that they put all the tools out, the order that they put the scalpels in, it's like everything. It's kind of like a dining room table. Like when you go to eat and all the forks and knives and everything are on the opposite side. But it just made me like think, man, the world is really designed for a very specific, narrow group. It's like not only is it a male who's, you know, 70 kilos or whatever and this yeah. many pounds, but, but also, also right hand, he's right handed <clears throat> and, you know, probably doesn't have well, long hair. I see what you're saying, and I bet there is a lot of those same injuries that come about as a result of everything being built to cater to the right-handed people. The weird thing though for me is that at least we can account for that in part because 
it is such a huge majority that is right-handed, whereas they called women's studies with regard to safety a niche group. Oh, my God, for 50% of the freaking population. Yeah. 51, okay. So that's why it's like even more insane. That is crazy. Yeah, Yeah. that's a real fair argument. Because I'm just here on my like left-handed soapbox, like well, no, I think it's the same problem. But... Yeah, and um, you know what's also really now that I said this out loud, the fact that I'm like more outraged by the left-handed stuff than the women's stuff because I've almost grown to accept it. <laughs> that's sad, right? It's like less shocking to me to hear the, how the world is designed for men <laughs> than it is to think about the ways in which left-handed people get screwed over. Well, no matter what hand you use, if you brush your teeth, you should use a Quip toothbrush. That's what I'm I saying. I bet brushing it in the opposite hand might do something to your brain, That's too. That's what they to say. Like kind of stimulate it. Yeah, you should do that. I yeah. should try that. It's so Sweet. hard. Have you ever tried it? No. Oh, my God. I wanted to do it because they say it like, helps your brain get like you know sharp. But yeah, especially in the morning. It's freaking hard. But- oh, and like going in circles in the other direction? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I just ordered Landon a Quip toothbrush. Oh, did you? What color did he choose? Uh, he chose black. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I mean, this is what's great is not only do they brush your teeth in amazing ways and do the job, but they're super cute and they look great on your mirror. You can choose what color you want and they're not bulky like those other old timey. <laughs> That's why I got it for him. Oh, really? He, he travels so much and he usually, he used the, uh, the you know, one of those electric yeah. toothbrushes that was so bulky and then he never took it with him on the road and he would always forget and then buy toothbrushes. Like we have stockpiles of toothbrushes he's used once because he's bought them out on the road. And so now I'm like, no, no, forget it. Just use this, put it in your travel bag. You could pop off the top, boom, bada bing, bada boom, electric (laughs) toothbrush on the road. And the brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks. And that's why we love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com slash brain candy right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. So that's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash brain candy. Um, okay. I have. <clears throat> a listener question. Oh, I love listener us. questions. Yes, I've been meaning to do this for a couple of weeks and I kept forgetting. Let me find it on my phone here. Um, mm-hmm. I always wonder, you know, why do these people want our opinion? But who cares? We're going <laughs> to give them. We're going to give it yeah. to them. Okay. Hi, gals. I have a question I'd like to ask you both in hopes that maybe you could discuss it on the podcast. It's mainly for Sarah since I think she mentioned it in an earlier episode. It has to do with arguing with my husband over who should be cooking dinner after work. Sarah mentioned that she usually cooks because Landon works more or is the breadwinner. Correct me if I'm wrong. My husband makes more money, but sometimes I'll work later hours and he'll just wait at home for me to come home and make dinner. Oh, no. This drives me nuts because he had the time to start dinner but seems to think it's my job. We've argued Ooh. over this many times, and I feel like the issue is going nowhere. Any advice about this? P.S. Right. We've been married only four months. I've heard the first <gasps> year is the hardest. It is. That's from okay. Samantha. First of all, I have to say that 
this is Sarah, regular person Sarah. So I don't want to say in any way that I'm like posing as anybody's therapist or giving any like, you know, official advice posing yeah, as that. This is just like marriage. This is just like, opinion. you know, us sharing our stuff. So uh, to clear things up, I do not do the majority of the cooking now. In fact, I haven't cooked a meal since like June for real because Landon really recognized that it, that I needed his help and he I I didn't even really think I had to ask where he just kind of took over and started to see that I wasn't doing a good job of like, you know, bringing a lunch to school. So he packs all my lunches for me. He makes dinner and I have dinner like every time when I come home, it's made for me. And so he really saw that I was busy. And I think it's important, you know, in any relationship to find that balance and be able to see when the other person is needing some help or, or struggling with, you know, whatever it is. And also to have a lot of compassion for the other person, you know, like I used to be, even for yourself, like I used to be really worried that, oh my God, I didn't make the bed this morning or there's so much laundry to get done when I had so much stuff on my plate. And we just got to the point where we're like, you know what? The laundry's going to sit in there for a little while. Okay. Okay. Fine. And it just, you got to you got to communicate. The most important thing is to talk about it and use like the feeling words. Like there's a magical formula of I feel blank, insert feeling word here, and not like I feel like you're not doing enough because that's not a feeling word. It's like I feel overwhelmed or I feel uh, disrespected or I feel, you know, frustrated when you blank. I feel frustrated when you like, you know, assume that I'm going to cook dinner. And then you say, what I need from you is blank and ask for what you need. And if you can use that formula for communicating anything that you need from your partner and get them to follow the same and say things like, well, what I hear you say is you're frustrated when I don't make dinner and you need me to do blank. (coughs) That is like the formula for healthy communication. And everything in a relationship has to be negotiated. That's why the year one is the hardest because it's an entire year of negotiating deals, essentially. It's like starting a business with somebody and you have to figure out who's in charge of the finances, who's in charge of the housework, who's in charge of this. And if the conversations don't happen, then resentment just builds and things beat that are not that big of a deal become a bigger deal because there's a big underlying issue that needs to be discussed. And usually it's a feeling of like being disrespected or, um, you know, overwhelmed. I End mean, of lecture. To me, the idea of one person being the breadwinner should have yeah. absolutely no bearing on mm-hmm. housework. Right. Like someone could make tons of money but not be stressed or pressed for time at all. And so yeah. they should be doing more if the other partner doesn't make very much but is really uh, stressed at work or doesn't have time to get home late or whatever. Like how much someone makes should not be the litmus test for whether you make dinner. Absolutely not. Right. Totally, totally true. Yeah. But uh, for, (sighs) for sure, like if I felt like my partner were holding out on creating food for us, out of some sort of weird idea of whose job it is. First of all, that I would never make another meal. Like, yeah. Oh, I love that move. I'd be on strike for sure. Bro, I I, I've, I've, I've gone on strike care. before. I went on strike with the laundry. Right. Because it <laughs> I was like, that. 
that was it. It was like, is there this assumption? And, you know, and my husband traveled so much. Mm-hmm. See, this is the difference between the healthy communication and the unhealthy way to do it. So this is just my story. So Landon's on the road all the time, traveling a whole bunch, and he really gets used to living in hotels where he takes off his clothes and throws them on the floor. And usually, like, you know, the housekeeper will come in or the room, you know, the person who cleans the room will come in and clean it up and, you know, put it on the chair for him. Well, I I am not that person, and that's not my job. So I was just, like, done with all the clothes getting thrown on the floor. I said, I'm not picking them up anymore. So that stuff lived there for, like, two weeks. And then he finally, and which was killed me but then he finally got the picture and but i feel like i my resentment and my frustration slowly built over those two weeks and had i just come out in the beginning with that healthy communication and talked about it in a better way then i could have saved myself you know a couple weeks of stress and and just thinking about it or you know stewing in my own i don't know whatevs I just can't believe that he would just sit there and wait for her to come home. Yeah, I do not like that. That's so gross. That needs a conversation for sure. But it could be a situation like you're describing where maybe he was living at home all that time and his mom or dad was, you know, making all the food for the family. Who knows what his routine was before he got married, but... And sometimes so often, like I really thought in my head that Landon cared so much about the bed being made every morning. That that became like my job really because he never made the bed when I was (laughs) staying at his house when I was like dating him. I'm like, geez, he never makes the bed. Okay, I'll do it. So then he got used to having the bed made. And then I thought, oh, he, he likes the bed made every morning. And then when I was, you know, in a rush and I didn't do it, I would have this just in, insane guilt of like, oh my God, I didn't make the bed. He's going to like come upstairs and judge me for it. And I create this whole narrative in my head of like what he's thinking about my inabilities and my lack of whatever, right. or look at her. She's, you know, that whole phrase of like sitting on the couch, eating bonbons that they always use with like yeah. women. Like that's what I have the story in my head. And so I just asked him about it. And I said something like, you know, does it bother you that I didn't make the bed today? And he was like, literally I have not ever thought about you not making the bed once in our entire relationship. And that was like a thought that consumed me. I mean, I was thinking about it all the time. So a lot of times I think the things that we do or don't do, or we have these like stories of what we think the other person is thinking and they're so often not correct. Yeah. You have to talk about them because you'd be surprised at how many assumptions we make that are just living in our brain and not anybody else's. I hope Samantha goes on strike and like just eats cheese every night and doesn't make him dinner. That would be funny. Um, and I hope that she has a healthy conversation with him using her good communication strategies and feeling words. <laughs> uh, a great communication strategy that I know of is reading The New Yorker because then you have something to talk about no matter who you're talking to. That's right. Because The New Yorker has something for everyone. They have a full range of topics including politics, um, environment, pop culture, arts, humor, cartoons. There's just so much. And I just saw um, they were tweeting out something from their archives, which was a Nora Ephron um, article. And I was just so happy to see it. And I thought, well, this is another great thing is you get access to all of the articles from 10, 20 years ago. And you can read That's those so as cool. well. It is. Um, and I just want to encourage people to try this offer. Um, they have 12 weeks 
for just six bucks. It's regularly 12 plus you get the New Yorker tote bag. And I just think this is a no brainer, $6 and you get a tote bag and you get to um, have access to the New Yorker and the hard copy and the digital version. So you get 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just six bucks plus the exclusive tote, which we use and it's in the back of our car. We take it to the farmer's market. Same. Go to newyorker.com slash brain candy. Listeners save 50% when they enter brain candy. So use newyorker.com slash brain candy and then the code brain candy. Um, and they do so much good work, like the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Um, they do a lot of deep dives. People love like our history of categories that we yes. talk about on the show. They have a lot of those, the history of various things. So just try that out. You'll love it. Um, speaking of, I have the history of the public library, if you are oh yeah interested. Um, I just... Don't you love libraries? I love the smell of them. I love the smell. And I always just feel more studious and smarter. And like, I almost feel like I I have to dress for the library Mm. in like my cutest, nerdiest clothes. (laughs) I love the silence because there are very few places where you can go that are so peaceful. Yeah. I don't know. It just excites me when I go. It's like my happy place, I guess. But anyway. My little brother loves the library too. I call him all the time. And this is a brother who hated studying, who hated, you know, didn't do any of that, who was like, couldn't sit down, super ADD. And I call him all the time and he's like, I can't talk right now. I'm in the library. I'm like, okay. I I think, because that's what happened to me. I was not a good student growing up. I was like a super big slacker. And then once I discovered... I can't believe that. Yeah, no, I had no, I was just in it for giggles. I just wanted to laugh all the time and I procrastinated and all this stuff. And then I discovered the library and it was like, oh, you can learn about stuff you actually like. Yes. Oh, and that's probably what happened to your brother where you like, there's, yes, you like that's learning. totally it. Yeah. He was like, oh, so it's the same as when I'm, you know, Googling stuff till four o'clock in the morning at home on exactly. my computer. Yeah. I right. felt like that the very first time I read a textbook in a grad school mm-hmm. where I, or maybe it was like upper division undergrad stuff where I had this like steady habit of just zooming through it yeah. and like just looking for the answers. And then I opened the book, read the first page and I was like, oh my God, I love this book. Yeah. And I read the whole chapter. I'm like, I've never done that ever in the entire history of me studying. So yeah, back to libraries. Well, Basically, up until relatively recently, um, you know, within the last hundred years or so, um, books were pretty rare. Um, They were expensive and usually religious. I shouldn't say 100 years, more than that. But, you know, they were not something that everyday people had around. And, you know, obviously literacy rates were a lot lower. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in the new world, men eventually started forming clubs, sort of, you know, like the Masons and all those groups. Um, They didn't allow people of color, poor folks or women, of course, but like these clubs began the practice of sharing information and lending books to each other. Um, And then eventually they realized that like, it's better if you have more people in the conversation and more books to uh, share. 
and they started letting more people in. They still weren't going to let people of color or women in the group, but then women and people of color started making their own little clubs. And basically they realized, women started realizing the same thing, that reading and information helps people behave better ultimately. You know, they called it middle-class values, but what they really meant was like being civilized. And so they wanted to include more people in the the category as well. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. You know how people always give Carnegie the credit for being like the godfather of public libraries? And he did. I didn't know that. Well, he gave his fortune to create libraries. That's why there's so many Carnegie libraries around the world. Oh, I had no idea. Really? No, not at all. Yeah. he. Gave- I just think, I don't know. I don't even know who, like, Suze, I'm going to sound like a dummy here. I don't even know who that is. Oh, Andrew Carnegie. He was just like one of the business. He was like the Trump of back in the day. <sighs> and he donated his whole fortune when he died to libraries. So it's the equivalent of over $1 billion to them, which is so awesome. Hey, that makes that guy, Carl, whatever his name is, who just died and gave his $125 million to his cat <laughs> even sound more ridiculous. <laughs> right. Could have built a library, buddy. That's what I'm saying. I'm still mad about that. Yeah, um, I get it. And like, I do think credit should be given to him, but it kind of annoys me because it, it's another example of how all these women and people of color were moving forward the cause of making books affordable and available to everyone. And then some white rich guy gives money and then he gets all the credit. Yeah. But I mean, I'm glad all of them uh, did their jobs in terms of spreading the word. But I, it just, the little, the article just made me appreciative of the things that libraries offer to the homeless community, to new moms and dads who like don't know what to do with their kids and classes for people that don't understand technology and, Mm. you know, all this cool stuff that helps our society. And uh, it said in the article that um, Trump tried to cut the little federal funding that goes to libraries. (sighs) Thankfully, Congress worked against that, but... It's blah, so blah, blah. important that to not, to block people from information is the worst thing you could do. Well, and it's the perfect way to control people. Yes, that's you know? why it's so bad. Yeah, because it just leads to so much other stuff. You know, I I I feel like a lot of people don't even know about what is available or offered at libraries. Oh my gosh, go to your library. Yes, go. And oh my Lord, if you have kids, Mm -hmm. there are so many resources there. I mean, I went to the library to pick up a book one time that I never returned because I lost it on the plane. Oh my God. Nobody tell the Huntington Beach Library because I think I'm banned for life from there. It was a big book too. I cannot believe you're banned from a library. Well, I probably am because I never, or I have like a really big fine. I never returned. You the book aren't before. upset enough. Well, you're right. I mean, <laughs> you're right. I mean, at the time I was like broke and there was no way I was going to pay for it. And I left the book in the backseat oh, of an airplane and I even called the airline to try to get it back. And I was just like, I'm never going to find this book. I'm just going to move to another city. <laughs> that seems easier than actually following up on this. Wow. That's move rock to bottom. A different. Yeah. I hope all the, or- the libraries in Orange County aren't somehow connected and uh, <laughs> they keep my stuff on record. But uh, yeah, so I went there to go get this book 
And I walked in on story time where it was a woman like reading the books to little kids. And I had no idea that they did stuff like that. And after I had been a nanny, I was like, man, I would have used this. I would have come here, you know, listen to the stories and... It's, have them it's so much. The kids they have crafts as well for the kids. Yeah. Oh, hello. I love that. Yeah, and I just am so grateful. And you know how we we talked before about how the opioid epidemic has made it so that libraries are on the front lines of dealing with overdose problems and addiction because a lot of the people that utilize the library, um, you know, have that problem, and they have to keep the. I forget what the name of the thing is. That it's like a, if you're OD, they give it to you to oh, reverse uh, it. Oh, uh, not. Yeah, n- yeah, yeah. Nar, <laughs> Narcan, Narcan, something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah. I mean, these are librarians that have to learn how to administer <sighs> an antidote. That's for, right. It's crazy because that's they where do. people are doing it. Yeah. So they're doing now God's I'm, work. Now, what I'm, the hell is the name of that? Fentanyl I have a huge and- boner for librarians, all of all kinds. Yeah. Nar, nar, cam. I don't know. Oh Anyways, God, killing you. That's so. Yeah, it is. Um, what else? But that's so crazy that they have to do that. Another or even crazy worry thing about that. is how high so many people's interest rates are, Sarah. That is insane. <laughs> Actually insane. I. By the way, I just uh, paid off my student loans. Oh, Suze, oh, congratulations. What a feeling. Suze, you should like I definitely, know. you know, pour yourself a glass of wine and get out the, the streamers and confetti and It's like so celebrate. exciting. But I know that feeling of like your interest rates too high. And actually my interest rate on my student loans was higher than I thought. And that's what happens to a lot of people. Damn. So yeah. And usually it's credit card debt and you can have an APR over 18%. It's crazy. And so Lightstream is such a great option if you want to refinance your high interest credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan. Um, You can get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. The rate is fixed. It won't go up. You can get a loan from five to $100,000 and there are no fees and you can get your money as soon as the day you apply. If you want to save even more, our listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash brain candy, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash brain candy, subject to credit approval. Right includes, rate includes a 0.50 auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash brain candy for more information. All right. So, so speaking of student loans and all that stuff, yeah. I just watched the other night um, that great show on Netflix, Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. Mm-hmm. And he did a whole, the whole uh, show was about student loans oh, wow. and the problem with them. Dude. What'd you it learn? Is messed up. So one thing that they tell us, there were a few takeaways that I felt like were really important to share. So one thing that I learned was... Uh, especially in a field like mine where there are a lot of jobs in like public service and uh, 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 what are they called? Like you work in like a, a nonprofit organization or things like that. And you can, if you do that for 10 years, then yeah. you ha- qualify for loan forgiveness. Yes, yes. So I have a bunch of friends who have been doing that and people who were in the program who went right into working in these jobs. Well, one girl 
that uh, uh, was sharing her story that I, this is not on the show. This was in my own personal life that she was telling me about this. And then it all kind of came together and I understood why when I watched the show. So she had worked the 10 years, qualified, did everything she needed to do, submitted the application for the loan forgiveness. There were 30,000 people who submitted an application for Mm -hmm. this loan forgiveness thing. Of those, only, I think it was something like 20% were actually accepted and everybody else's were denied. Oh my God. It was everybody, like they just got denied. Like they, they just said, oh, we're only accepting this very, very small percentage. So even though they all qualified, they only accepted like, it was something like 23% of all the applicants, maybe even less than all the applicants like nobody got this and it was like they didn't nobody knew why they didn't they couldn't figure it out they it's like everybody's getting screwed and they also use this crazy trick um i can't remember what the word is it starts with a d but you call up the 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 place the the uh you know like sally may or whatever deferment and yeah, they put you in deferment, and when they do that, it tax on higher yeah. uh, interest rates at the end. Mm-hmm. But they don't even give you the other options. So I, and they say that, and the person on the phone sounds so confident, like, "Oh yeah, this is the best thing for you. You should just do that." And so I had called uh, my own, uh, uh, you know, student loan place, Navient or whatever, because the school hadn't processed my financial aid fast enough so because they didn't process it and didn't like get me started on the next semester it sent me into the period where they're like oh "Oh, now you have to start paying so i called and i'm like oh you know there's a problem with my school processing this and they're like oh no worries we'll just put you in deferment would you like that and nobody explained me what that was nobody did anything and i was like do you think that's the best option and she was like yes yes that's definitely it so they did that and as soon as i watched the show i was like holy shit Am I still in that? Did they even figure this out? Like nobody called me, nobody followed up. I very well could be tacking on a whole bunch of interest that I don't even know about. And it's like nobody tells you we are getting screwed. It is bad. So like do your homework on that stuff. That's, it's really disgusting. (laughs) I think everybody just needs, if you have student loans, you have to watch that show because I can't even begin to explain to you on here. I'm like, I'm not even doing a good job now because I'm just getting so flustered and overwhelmed with it even as I talk about it, thinking about like, oh my God, do I need to call them right now? Well, a lot of the, isn't it the case that a lot of the people that got denied that forgiveness, it was due to very small clerical errors and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody got it. It was so messed up it's it feels oh like God. the system is rigged in a lot of ways and yeah and the people that get hurt are the people that are most vulnerable in the first place it's, it's depressing really, it's really really sad oh my god so it's like don't even don't even freaking bother to is do that, that show meant thing. to be funny or is it all serious yeah it's both it's both it's like real serious but also real funny and he even talks about um oh so here's the actual number uh, the number of applicants who, in 2018, submitted that, uh, uh, you know, loan forgiveness, yeah. uh, 49,699 of all the applications that, like, finally made it through. Some were denied for missing information. 11,000 were denied for missing information. Um, then the total number of applications that were approved, 
423. No way. Yep. That's it. Wow. 72% of applications were denied due to not meeting the requirements of the program. Yeah, because probably nobody even knew what the hell they were. Yeah. Dude, fucked up, man. But yeah, watch that show. It's real funny and really informative and stuff we really, really need to know about. I also highly recommend the episode on Amazon and the one on Supreme Clothing Line. Supreme? Yeah. What's that? Oh my gosh, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit. Yeah, is Supreme it like that? is like Yeah. It's yeah, you know the logo. It's like Supreme written in a red box in like uh italics Helvetica and it's like a it's I know it's very specific font. <laughs> um but it's uh it's just taken off as this like skater brand that they've oh, then yeah, yeah, made yeah. really exclusive and the st- there's like pop-up stores that open yeah, and there's lines around yeah. the corner and they take like a brick and put the supreme logo on it and sell it for three hundred dollars and like how this came to be and and who's profiting off of it it's just fascinating so i love all that stuff when they're they do a deep dive into the history of just like you Sus. by the way this just came to my head how about how people are super Super offended that I was being so mean about bangs. <laughs> were they? Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, people are like, I, you know I what? I thought I thought people might do that. That because I, in my head, I was thinking as I was listening to that episode, uh, I was thinking about a good friend of mine, also my hairdresser, who has bangs <laughs> and they're adorable. And I couldn't yeah. imagine her without bangs. And she always jokes that she has a. Uh, a daughter who also has a five head and so she has to cut bangs on her and then she just had another baby and she's like there's a picture of her baby and she's like "Uh oh i think she got my forehead (laughs) it's like she has bangs in her future so you know some people can really rock it i mean betty page hello okay yeah let me clarify my remarks first of all i am an asshole Okay, so I mean, I get it. You're not, you're not wrong. Some people look nice with bangs, no doubt about it. Um, I think I'm really kind of referring to people who like don't have bangs and then like yeah. are going through a crisis and totally. think that's going to solve the problem. And it tends to maybe not look so great when they do it. But if right, bangs not like somebody here, already had them and are getting a trim. Come on, yeah, no, that's fine. And like yeah. if that's your look. Like your friend that you said looks great and you can't even picture her without them. You probably have never seen her without them, right? Nope. So that's never. her signature look and it works for her. <laughs> so cute. I'm yeah. the problem here. Ah, well, um, don't get bangs. No, I won't. But I will get stamps.com because it's so convenient and you don't have to leave your house or your office or wherever you're shipping anything to send a package all you have to do is use your computer, print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And then once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's so simple. And you get a discount off every first class stamp, five cents off, and 40% off, up to 40% off priority mail. So you don't have to leave your house. You get discount. And... You can just like plop it in the mail and you don't have to wait in traffic or whatevs. It's a no-brainer. saves you time and money. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Brain Candy. That's Stamps.com and enter Brain Candy. Um, I read 
oh, I read something that I'm mad about. This episode should just be like things I'm pissed about. Those are my favorite episodes. (laughs) I'm just going to start like flooding your inbox with things that I think would like kind of make you (laughs) pissed off. Yeah. Okay. So I read that they recently discovered some letters in an archive that revealed that Charles Dickens, um, who had, he was with his wife for over 20 years. They Mm -hmm. had 10 kids together. Holy crap. And then he started banging some hussy on the side and tried to get his wife put into an asylum. What? Like so that he could just bang this other hooker. Get out of here. Right? Dude, this is like when I found out Picasso was a dickhead. These guys would have never lasted a second in the Me Too movement. I almost did a spit take. That is so funny. (laughs) How did you find out about that? Oh, from the uh, uh, comedy that... Oh, Van Gogh, you mean. Oh, Van... Is it Van Gogh? No, it's Picasso. Is it? Yeah, from... uh, uh, What the hell is her name? No, but... Hannah... Gatsby. Gatsby. I think that was Van Gogh, though. Oh, Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Well, then, you know what? Sorry, Picasso. No, wait, but now I want to know. No, I'm going to Google Cubism, it. Cubism. Sunflower. Yep. It was. It was. Oh. She says, talks about both. Oh. Picasso and Van Gogh. <laughs> so we're both right. How did you find that out? I just Googled Hannah Gatsby and Picasso and... She's, it, I found an article that says reframing Picasso, Hannah Gatsby, and separating the man from the art. It was probably, it's probably Picasso then. I, yeah. Who did the sunflowers though? Van Gogh. Oh, okay. So that's what, why it was in my yeah. head. Okay. I got kicked out of the Prince Edward Museum for taking a picture of that. Painting. No, you did not. You're not allowed to take a picture? Yep. You couldn't take a, I, I don't know. I think you couldn't take a picture flash or no flash. That's absurd. Yeah, so, but I got the picture, and it was, it's my favorite Van Gogh, uh, you know, painting. Hold on, hold on a minute. In this episode, we've learned that Sarah is banned from a library (gasps) and got kicked out of a museum. Oh oh my God. (laughs) What is For someone who's a rule follower, I have a bad track record in in these. And you claim you're a rule follower. I know. Those, that's good. That is a lie. (laughs) Clearly. That is so funny. Oh, goodness. Sue is really putting it in perspective for me. <laughs> and it's like I'm breaking rules in like the literary and art world, which are two places I highly respect. But so. like they kind of would love that secretly because yeah, you're allowed would. to Come break on. those rules. Oh, but, you know what? You're right. They yeah. would. Picasso would be, or, or Van Gogh would be like, yeah, yeah, you take that picture. Um, that thing about Charles Dickens, though, is gross for obvious reasons but also because he was obsessed with his image and he had a bonfire in his backyard and burnt all of his letters and stuff so people wouldn't know but then they found like somebody else had saved the letters he wrote to them so that's how we found out but like how gross is that guy he's a narcissist right like big time and the, the thing is at that time in history it was real easy to get people especially your wife um committed and they still wouldn't take her they were like no she's all right oh my god thank god that doesn't happen often right was he must clearly have been 
an asshole, and she was clearly not Dude, insane. So I know absolutely like nothing about history and anything. So <laughs> like I've, I learned, I'm learning that I have a very specific like field of, of knowledge and anything else I don't know anything about, like geography or famous <laughs> people from time, you know, eras of the past. Okay. Uh, Charles Dickens, did he, was he famous while he was alive? Like was he yes. writing and he had notoriety and, and you know, esteem yes. and all this stuff while he was living. Okay, yeah. so that that's even more interesting that this man who had power, who was in a position where, you know, his word was, you know, taken and put into print and read yeah, and all this stuff. Yeah, he's a public figure. Public figure, thank you. Exactly the mm-hmm. word I was looking for. And they still wouldn't take her. Right. That means that they really recognized he was a dickhead. Right? And... I just can't believe this is the same guy who's writing a Christmas uh, carol or Christmas story, whatever they call it. I always get mixed up. Christmas carol. And, you know, God bless us, everyone, and, like, care about the people (laughs) that matter, not money. God bless us, everyone, except for my wife. (laughs) You can take my wife, please. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for real. You know, and now that you say it, all those books feature only men. True. And, like, you know, Oliver Twist, all that, like... See? And did he Patriarch even care again. about kids? And, like, he almost seemed like a disconnect between, like, the kids and the parents, too. Huh. Maybe There's we're reading too much into it. There's a bunch of stuff to explore it. there. No, I'm going to read a lot into it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, let's introduce our guest, though, because... Yay! This is such a fun interview with um, Chad Braverman, COO at Doc Johnson. Let me um, get the website. You should check out their... Um, oh, I know what it is since <laughs> I already looked it up. Doc Johnson. Yeah. DocJohnson.com. That's D-O-C. <laughs> Don't think I didn't with, Google that as soon as you mentioned it. I love is. how when you pull it up, like on the Google page, there'll be like categories and it says dildos slash dongs ah! <laughs> like it's called a dong i did not know that you know what i really like about this is that it's very female friendly yes this website is. like even the front page of it the first page it almost looks like you're shopping at sephora like there's this pretty like arousal spray that's like all floral and looks like something that i would have like on my counter in my bathroom or maybe on my bedside table. It's probably but. why they're so successful is yeah because they're good at marketing and knowing what people want and it's not just male whatever it's not just the patriarchy. <laughs> right. Yeah, good. But he was like super that. fun to talk to and I just think what an interesting story that your family business happens to be sex toys. Um I can't but wait. It's just, he's makes such a good point that it's just like any other industry. You just want to make the best product that you can and make people happy. And, and oh, he's making people happy. He's doing the Lord's work. Oh, yeah. Um, Amen. We'll see you guys next time. Don't forget to subscribe. And uh, please welcome to the show Chad Braverman. All right. We are good to go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, give me the scoop on Doc Johnson and what you do there. All right, the scoop on Doc Johnson. So, I mean, simply put, we're the largest manufacturer of sex toys in the country. Um, 
started in 1976 and uh, have been chugging along now for, you know, 43 years um, as a leader in our industry. I came on board um, 15 years ago this year. No. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe that. That is no joke. I know. It's nuts. (laughs) I also worked there like every summer. Um, like in high school, what? I mean, going, even going into high school, I worked there every summer starting on like the transition between eighth and ninth grade. No, you did not. And then every summer I worked in a different position. So I worked in shipping, I worked in production, I worked in packaging, I worked in our lab. I you didn't. Of, for sure. Yeah. My dad, my dad said, you don't have to, you don't have to work for me, but you have to work. <laughs> God, so how cool is that? I felt, I felt like it was easier to work for him than someone I didn't know. <laughs> you said it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, 15 years this year. Um, and I've done a lot of things. I mean, I started in the purchasing department, um, kind of, you know, took over that department to kind of streamline it a little bit. It was a little bit in disarray at the time. And kind of moved from there into more of the creative, which was like product development. Um, did product development for a long time. And then, you know, now have sort of settled into uh, chief operating officer as well as chief creative officer. Oh my God. So I imagine, because this is sort of, you know, part of your identity, that you might forget how unusual your life is, but this is crazy to most people to hear this information. So did you have a sense for growing up like this is unusual? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I did. I mean, I understood it. You know, you're right. I mean, when, when you know, when you're wearing the shoes, it's kind of hard to, yeah. to, to take a step outside of that. But I mean, I definitely realized um, sorry, you know what? I'm going to move areas. Here. Sure, no I did problem. not realize how busy of an area I was going to be in. Um, you know, I definitely realized that it, it, it wasn't normal because I never met anybody else that did it. Right, you know, it's right. Like I never ran into somebody who said, oh, what do you do for work? And then I would tell them, and then they'd be like, oh, that's what my friend does. <laughs> yeah, same. You know, so <laughs> I think that was kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, you know what? This is pretty abnormal in a way. I mean, yeah. obviously I know everybody in our industry. Right, um, right. And they all do this, but, I mean, to have a family yes. company, and that's what your dad does, and, like, that's where you're, you know, your what your family business has been, what your dad has made a career out of. I mean, I, oh I definitely... Get it? Like I definitely understand that it's it's not average. Yeah. Also, when I tell people what I do and or what my family does, even when I was younger, um, you know, I realized very quickly that it became yeah like the the topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's great for parlor talk. Yeah, yeah. It's a real novelty. I get that. Yeah, I mean, it's not your normal run of the mill. Like, I'm like, oh, my dad's, you know, a lawyer or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then just kind of everyone moves on with the conversation. When I, I tell them what I do, they're like, yeah, well, I talk about it forever. <laughs> right. Well, what I love about it, though, is that although it's unusual, I'm sure in many ways it's just like any other family run business. I mean, you guys just try to do the best work that you can and create products that people want to buy. I mean, there's a lot of similarities with any business. So 
there's that yeah, too. I mean, it's, it's a, we always say that. Like at the end of the day, what we do is fun and it's exciting and it's interesting, but it's business. I mean, it's it, yeah. it, it, it adheres to the exact same rules as any other business. If we don't make product that people want to buy, we just won't be in business any longer. How do you think this became the family business? What's the, the sort of legend of why this happened in the first place for you guys? Um, well, I mean, really, because I thought, I mean, I guess it's kind of as simple as just me deciding that that's what I wanted to do for work. I mean, my dad started the company in 1976. Yeah, why and, did he stop know, it or start it? Why did he start the business in the first uh, place. You know, he had, he had been in the industry for a while, uh, just kind of, and that was like kind of just the luck of the draw that this is yeah. the industry that he got into. Um, and, you know, he was like running magazines up and down the East Coast and doing just sales stuff and um, moved out to Europe uh, to do some work in the business. And, and what he noticed in Europe was uh, much more acceptance towards the product. Um, yeah. And then also... Mainly that it wasn't just like the videos in the magazines, that they were really interested in product there. And mm -hmm. they were like packaging product and they were selling product in the front of the stores. Whereas in the States at the time, it was kind of like in bins in the store. <laughs> like it was really heavily focused on VHS, 8-millimeter yeah. magazines. And so he kind of had this vision that he wanted to come back to the States and start a company that produced product and that's where he really saw himself and his career going so he purchased um, a small manufacturing company in North Hollywood that was making like fishing lures and things like that <laughs> at the time so yeah. they had the machinery they had access to the material um, and you know they were a manufacturer so he purchased that facility and just started making sex toys instead of fishing product. That is so cool. Um, like, I just love the idea that he saw a little gap in the industry and he was like, you know what, I'm going to fill it up and I'm going to, you know, make something that people need. That's really cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, especially to know at the time and you know, what was kind of going on in the country at the time. And, yeah. You know, there was sort of the sexual revolution, but then on the on the backside of that, there was definitely like a tightening up of everything yes. as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, to, to know what he had to go through and, you know, to, to think about it back, you know, in the late 70s to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It just seems, to me, it seems extraordinary. And you have been in the business for a while and you've been around it for a long time. And have you noticed some changes along the way? What's different now than 20 years ago or whatever? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, when he was starting out, what, what it was like, and I know what he had to go through, and, you know, the different uh, the different struggles that the industry had as a whole. To see it today, I mean, the mainstreaming of it is so incredible. I mean, you know, from, mm. from, from movies to television to... Uh, mainstream magazines and, and, and newspapers. I mean, we had a huge article in the New York Times last year. Um, you know, to see these different, you know, mediums that are are not just okay with what we do, yes. but are actually like advocating for it. Yeah, it's not taboo um, it just, like it, it changes, was. It changes the whole ballgame because I mean, it, it's finally letting people know, like, hey, this is. This is okay. This is good for you, actually. And you should be buying this product and using this product, whether you're alone, whether you're with a partner, whether you're with multiple partners. Um, and also, I mean, obviously, I believe our industry, I mean, is 
is maybe the most inclusive industry in, in the world. Yeah, good point. I mean, because if you look at all the different companies in our industry, I mean, we're making product for everybody, you know, and we're, we're making product for everybody to have a more pleasurable sexual experience. Yeah, I mean... Um, which is universal. I well, mean, exactly. You know, so, so that, yeah, I mean, it's been... I mean, what I've seen over the last, you know, obviously the internet is a, a big, yeah. big, big reason for all of this, but, you know, the, the, the overall mainstreaming of the industry has been significant uh, over the last 10, 15, 20 years. What do you think is the... Um, maybe the biggest misconception still that lingers? Is there one? About your industry, I should say. Uh, you know, I think that the you know the industry, I think as a whole, kind of still gets categorized as like the porn industry. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't like to categorize the video industry as the porn industry, but you know, the truth is they couldn't be more separate. Like the video side of of our industry and the product side of our industry. I mean, they don't even mix in any way, shape, or form, really. Hmm. So I think the people that are making like you know sex toys, pleasure products, adult toys, whatever you want to call them. I mean, I know like when I was growing up, part of the reason why like my dad, my family didn't really tell me what they did or like tell or like was not very public about it was because. They did not want me to be, you know, stigmatized by, like, other parents or whatever it may be because it was, like, this idea that, like, Ron was this porn guy, you know. <laughs> and the truth is he couldn't be, you know, further from that. Right. So I would, I, I would think that, you know, that would probably be what I would say is just that, like, the whole industry is, like, the porn industry. Yeah, they just put sex into one big category instead of into one big yeah. category. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's um, you know, and again, like I said, our side of the industry. I mean, the strides that we're making, the product that people are producing in our industry, not just Doc Johnson. I mean, I'm very big proponent of the industry as a whole. Yeah. You know, obviously, I'm biased towards my company, and I'll talk about Doc Johnson all day and why I think we're the best. But I, I see what other people are doing in our industry, and like I applaud it because I think if if yeah, and Doc Johnson has opened so many doors yeah. for this industry and for companies that exist today to actually exist. But when another company opens up a door, like I'm just as grateful for that company having opened up that door because once a door is open, the, the, the whole industry is allowed to sort of come through. Yeah, I'm a big believer in a rising tide floats all boats. And exactly. there's room for everybody. But I'm, I see here that a lot of people agree that you guys are the best. You guys have all these awards. And I'm wondering, what in the heck do you think it is that makes – like, how do you win an award? What are the criteria for, for example, like Sex Toy of the Year or whatever it is? <laughs> um you know, I think it's just being, it, it, you know, it, sometimes it's just simple, you know, you just, you got to make good products, yeah. you know, design, design good product and, 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 you know, look for, um, either a segment of the market that is strong, that you feel needs to, um, continue to have product developed for it because it's a big enough segment or looking for gaps in the market and mm-hmm. saying like, okay, here's an area that is not being targeted. And, you know, here's an area where we feel like people in the industry maybe are like short-sighting it. And so we as a larger company have the ability 
to produce product in all these different segments of mm-hmm. the industry. And we're not pigeonholed at all. You know, we're a, we are a very large company. You know, we kind of make product for every category, genre, you know, uh, of the industry. And so when Dodge Johnson decides to sort of like sit down and focus on, uh, you know, this segment or that segment, it's not like we're stepping outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. So it allows us to be very fluid in what we do. And, it, it, and it's great for, especially on the creative side of it, you know, with my product development team and, and whatnot, it, it's kind of like, okay, here's the playing field and you have all of it to play with. How fun is that? You know, it's not like we go into work every day and kind of try to develop like just one yeah. more vibrator because <laughs> all our company does is vibrators at right. this exact price point. And, you know, here's what we need to do. And it's kind of like that daily routine of the same, 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 same. Yeah. We are like, you know, you have, where do you want to go? You yeah, know, where, the where, sky's where, the where, limit. Where, what do we, yeah, the sky's the limit. And that, that makes it, in a way, of course, there's always two sides to every coin. There's sometimes where that makes it like, you know, they say if you give yourself too much rope, you can hang yourself with yeah, it. Right. You know, you want to make sure that, like, you stay focused. But at the same time, you have a lot of, 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 of things to play with and, 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 and a lot of different places that, that you can bring the company within a year. That's really fun. You must at least enjoy, I'm sure it's all very hard work, but the fun of the variety and always having something new to work on must be really enjoyable. The creative side of what I do yeah. is, is the best. I mean, I love it because of that specific reason. It's yeah. not monotonous. You know, it's exciting. It, it, it can change all the time. Um, and, you know, you're never really focusing on just like one or two things, which I love personally. On the operational side of what I do is way more sort of your, like, business Typical. 101. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like, because, again, we are a manufacturer. But it's a good you know, balance, I think. We 70% of our product, like, in the United States, in our facility in North Hollywood. Oh, my gosh. So that's amazing. There's a lot. there's a lot that comes with being an actual manufacturer and, right. like, having to, you know, understand how many, you know, employees you're going to have on any given day, how many people in production, you know, machinery, material, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that that part of it is, is, is way more sort of your typical just like business type job. That's what I think so cool, though, because I remember I read that New York Times article and I found that balance of you're in a very unconventional industry, more or less, um, but... There's a lot of it that is, as you say, you know, business 101 or traditional sort of manufacturing, just creating products. And it's, I think that's such a cool dichotomy of a job. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if, 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 you know, it's not unlike any other business. If we're right. not efficient, <laughs> right. you know, then like we're going to lose money. If we're not, you know, if we don't have the right number of people, we're not going to be able to make the right number of products, you know? So it's, that stuff is like, it's like your business books, you know? It's like, you're producing a widget at that point. <laughs> right, like it exactly, doesn't matter if yeah. we're producing a sex toy or a coffee table. Yeah, you know? right, like right, right. That's just, that's just business. Tell me this. Um, I would love to know what you have noticed recently in the last few years in terms of trends. What in in like what determines the trend? 
Yes, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you know, there's so many different trends now because there are so many different segments of the market, you know? So I think, like, it's easy to say the last couple of years have been kind of dominated by, I'll give it a very broad umbrella of, like, BDSM. Oh. You know, like, to me, that's a trend that started with the Fifty Shades of Grey oh, because right. there's a door that was opened to a large Mainstream. segment of the population that had never really understood that BDSM could be mainstream. Right, that's it so was interesting. Always thought of as like fetish, dungeon, yeah, dark, like locked in a you know in a room, <laughs> handcuffed, <laughs> etc. But when that sort of when that book kind of became this phenomenon, and your average you know, uh, a woman in the, in, in the Midwest or whatever was like, oh, this is, there's so many different aspects to BDSM and there's so many different levels of play that started to really um, affect the market. And I think what companies like us and a lot of other companies in the industry saw was like all of a sudden these, these products that maybe were just selling okay that we would have considered maybe BDSM-E or ish, I should say, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden sort of started selling really well. And then we all started developing lines really around this category and, and saw, saw a market that was there before that was niche become yeah. like huge. That is so you fascinating. Know, that, that was a, that was a big, that's been a big trend, you know, um, one Have- of the things that we've seen also, you know, it's been around forever but like the anal market has become has trended upwards over the last few years. Oh, why do you think? And you know, um, you know, I think it's like just the last of the taboos. You yeah. know, you're starting to <laughs> right. break down some of these things where, again, magazines, TV, movies are starting to say, like, hey, you know what? Anal play or anal exploration is actually fun. Yeah. And interesting. And it doesn't have to be scary. And here's how to do it. And now all of a sudden you have, you know, a, a woman reading Cosmopolitan or whatever being like, so, okay, you know what? I used to never think that I would do this, but this actually sounds interesting. And mm-hmm. here's an interesting take on it. And now it's like, you know what? Let me go out and buy a small book look. You know? And then from there, maybe they do like it. So it's like, okay, well, now they're, they're now part of this moment. Market. And so as more and more people come to the market, the other thing we've seen is a lot of straight men um, being yeah. more okay with, like, prostate massage and right. stuff like that. Yeah. Makes so sense. all of that together sort of bolsters a segment of the industry, and you're like, oh, wow, look at this anal category of products is really trending upwards, and here's why. Have you noticed anything go out of fashion that used to be super, you know, people used to get, be really into it, and now they're not? Um, it's a good question. Um, or is just business is just booming across the the board? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I would love to say that's true. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I really can't think of one. I'm not surprised um, though, because if more people are just embracing things that used to be taboo or niche, then. It just it stands to reason that the stuff they used to be into they'd still like as well. Yeah, and if they're not, if they've moved on to something else, there's another group behind them waiting to kind of come in and start all over. 
Right, right. You know? Yeah, it's so cyclical. It's um, I haven't. There's nothing that jumps out to me where I would say like, oh, you know, we really used to like crush it in this market, and that's just kind of dead now. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that makes that makes me excited. Maybe everyone's just. Yeah, super satisfied and banging like crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's better for us. <laughs> right, right. Okay, uh, quickly before I let you go, um, is there anything that shocks you ever at this point? Are you totally desensitized? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, as, I'm probably as desensitized. Yeah, I bet you yeah. are. All right. I was just um, curious. You know, I mean, look, I see... I, I have two ways that I look at stuff, right? Because of how I grew up and and, and what I do for a living, you know, my feeling always, and this sort of mirrors Doc Johnson of the company's sort of feeling is like, uh, as long as you're having fun and as long as you're consenting or, you know, it's in a consensual scenario, do whatever brings you pleasure and have fun with it. You know, that being said, there are things in our industry that I personally am like, sure. okay, that just seems... Not your I'm cup not of tea. shocked by it, but I'm like, oof, that one... <laughs> I'm not, you know, like, the thing that jumps out to me always is, like, the, um, like, sounding. You know, like, the urethral sounds. I don't even stuff. know what that is. Those are, like, different, um, like, metal, basically, like... Uh, uh, I don't know what I would call them. They're just like metal rods, basically, that oh. like men can use. Oh, Lord. No. In their urethra. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Oh, God. Yeah, that's not my cup of tea, you know. To each their own, right? Yeah, and that's what it is, you know. I mean, that's I, almost everything in our industry, I could be like, okay, I could see, you know, doing sure. this or using that or whatever. I get the concept of it. Um, yeah, so there's nothing that shocks me. It's just stuff that maybe I'm just like, oof, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> okay, my last question is something we ask everybody on the show, which is, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? <laughs> what do I keep in the trunk of my, my dog? <laughs> oh, your dog. <laughs> oh, do you have like a SUV? I, uh, yeah, I have an SUV. Uh, <laughs> the third row, I literally bought my car for my dog. Aww. Um, it has a third row that I put down uh, flat, and then he has a big blanket back there. And that is so cute. He comes with me every day. Um, so yeah, I have a ninety-six pound German Shepherd in the trunk of my car. Oh my god, that's like a horse. That's crazy. Oh, that's a good answer. But one time, one time when I wasn't driving that particular car, I did have a blow-up doll that was blown up <laughs> that was in the trunk of my car for like a week. That's hilarious. On accident. And on accident. I was at like a valet. No. And I, was home. I was bringing her home for like a chip. For like a joke, but like it just ended up in the trunk of my car like longer than it should have been. Oh my god! And it was like a traditional like sedan, so like it was like a real <laughs> trunk. And I was at valet at a restaurant, and like he went to give me my keys, yeah. and I accidentally popped the trunk. No, no. And like the foot of the blow up doll came like out of the trunk. No. <laughs> And I was just like, that's kind of like that's appropriate, that's yeah. <laughs> like this is for, like people are just standing around, like, and I'm just like closing the trunk up. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Yeah. So I love I mean, how that, you that, called it. Time. You you referred to it as a she. I took her home. <laughs> like it's well, a it real was. person, it was, it was right? A female doll. <laughs> Gosh, I yeah. love it. This trunk question always has 
there's implications. It's always indicative of who you are, what's in your trunk. And I think the blow up doll suits you. Um, I think it suits me perfectly. It's funny too, because I've had an SUV almost my whole life. So I, I you know, it's, it's an interesting question because I've really never had a proper trunk, anything, quote unquote, in my trunk. Right, right, so to speak. You know. Do you yeah. have anything else you want to share about Doc Johnson before you go? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, the best thing I would say is like check you, you know, guys out. Come. Yeah, come to our website, check us out. I mean, we have product for everyone, and I mean... What's your best seller? Like I said before, um, so for us, again, because we're in so many categories, we yeah. always like to look at it as, like, best seller, like, in what yeah. category? Yeah. You know, like, for for vibrators, it's, like, the pocket rocket is, like, the quintessential, like, best seller, and the rabbit, our iPod select okay. rabbit, and... You know, we make the Sasha Gray product, and that's, like, one of our best sellers. This item we have called Trist, which is, like, a really amazing couple's product, is is, is one of our best sellers. Um, you know, so, like, yeah, I would definitely just, like, please come to the website and just take a look and, like, you know, see, 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 see what we have. I mean, we have something for everyone, and whether, again, it's solo play or it's partner play, um, I guarantee you can find it uh, on our website. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so yeah, interesting. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was All very right. nice talking with you. You too. Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. 